0: Welcome, everyone. We're so glad you're here to chat with us. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Lauren. Today, we are joined by Dr. Grant Scarborough, founder and CEO of MercyMed, and Billy Holbrook, the Chief Development Officer at MercyMed. A little bit about each of them, Grant is a native of Columbus and graduated from the University of Georgia with a degree in biology. Uh, Immediately following graduation, he spent two years on staff with Young Life in Metro Atlanta. Grant earned his medical degree from Mercer Medical School, completed his internal medicine and pediatric residencies at the University of Tennessee, Memphis, and finished his MedPeds residency at the University of Tennessee. And then we have Billy, who is the Chief Development Officer. Billy graduated Columbus State University. In 2004, and went on to spend nearly 10 years in payments industry at TSIS, who is one of our wonderful partners as well. In December of 2014, he joined Mercy Med staff as Director of Development. Thanks for joining us, Grant and Billy.
1: Glad to be here, but you left out the most important part about Billy. Where, where are you from, Billy? Alabama. Alabama, right across the river. So, right. Hey,
0: okay. yeah, covering both sides. Make sure we sure you know
2: that, yes. Smith Station. Thank you. That's right. Smith I should, Station. I need a, yeah, I need to update my bio. Sorry about that. <laughs>
0: yeah, sorry you didn't give me that information, Billy. That didn't make it in here. <laughs> well, we are so happy you all joined us today. So, we like to obviously start each show by just learning a little bit more about you and what you do. Um, so, we know a lot about Mercy Med. Y'all are such wonderful partners to us. But, um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Mercy Med and how it started?
1: Uh, sure. Um, I, uh, I'll i go farther back than just Mercy Med, because I think that's part of the story. Uh, um, but um, I always had a heart for ministry, even in high school, and always loved uh, the thought of uh, reaching out to the folks who had a hard time uh, with some basic needs and and uh, caring for the poor, and um, just really saw that uh, as kind of the heart of the gospel a little bit for me and for my life. And so uh, went to the University of Georgia and then graduated and went into ministry for a few years and started seeing there were some big needs for folks who lived in poverty. And there are a lot of awesome ministries that I got to see doing wonderful work uh, from feeding people to clothing them to housing them. And I just felt like there was a little bit of a gap there of, <clears throat> of uh, caring for folks with medical needs. So I decided to go back to med school with the desire to kind of care for folks um, who have a hard time getting access to health care. And so that was really the whole goal. So I chose Mercer University, who has a, a desire, the school, to, to try to provide health care for those who have a hard time getting health care as well. Uh, their focus is a little more rural, probably. Um, and I was a little more urban, but the mission still kind of fit for us. So from there, I went to Memphis, Tennessee, where I did my training um, in Memphis. Uh, I chose that because the county south of Memphis, when I moved for the second force in the U.S., I knew there were a couple other clinics like ours in Memphis. And so I want to go train there, but also see some of these clinics in action and kind of see what they look like and see how they function and see their processes. And so I also like barbecue, but um, that's just a small side note. So I went to Memphis and did my training there and then moved to Augusta with a friend of mine to start a clinic like this in 2007. Got that up and going uh, with him, and it's still going great in Augusta. And they're seeing tons of patients up there doing an awesome job. But felt called um, to move back to Columbus, where I'm from. Uh, actually, sir, uh, there are some folks from Columbus that that came to Augusta that wanted to start a clinic and uh, and just start kind of the conversation. Um, but from that, um, ended up moving back in 2011 and opening January 2012, uh, a clinic in Columbus to kind of care for those who have a hard time getting their their uh, medical needs met. Um, Mercy Med to me, kind of the mission of it is uh kind of defines it so our mission statement is that we exist to proclaim jesus christ as lord and demonstrate his love so it's a it's a christian nonprofit uh clinic um and uh we want to proclaim it but uh, saint francis of Assisi said that uh, you preach 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 and when you have to use words so we feel like a lot of our proclamation is is using our hands and serving folks and caring for people um and that's kind of part of demonstrating his love as well um, by providing affordable quality healthcare. So our goal at the clinic is to have affordable health care, um, but also quality health care. We want the best health care in the city. We know that it's hard for our patients to get certain things done and, and certain type of uh, things like colonoscopies that we need. But for what we can do, we want to do it with excellence. And then we do it to care for folks physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So we try to provide the best um, physical care we can for our patients. And so many of them come in with, with blood you know, pressures in the 200s or blood sugars in the 400s or masses that have been growing for years. Um, and so we want to try to care for them physically, emotionally. A lot of our friends uh, that come from poorer communities have a little more baggage and there's a little more um, addiction or physical abuse or sexual abuse that might be going on or mental illness that we have to, to deal with. And spiritual, we want to care for folks spiritually as well. So that's kind of the the mission of Mercy Med. I got started in, in 2012 and Billy, I'll let you chime in for anything I missed out on.
2: Ten years, Grant. Ten years old, huh? Ten and a half. I'm not counting. Ten and a half. That's right. I think um, it's it's very uh, very practical need that Mercy med works to uh, to meet. And that what drew me to the clinic uh, got almost eight years ago now. Was uh, seeing a friend of mine in the neighborhood where Mercy Med on Second Avenue is located just get better. I, I really didn't know that much about the clinic or really what it um, what it did. I just knew that my friend was coming back to church because she was able to walk to the clinic and, and be seen by Grant. Um, and before she had all these barriers to get to healthcare, and um, there's there's a long list of those. But but essentially, um, where where I find you know the. Com- the, the story of Mercy Matter I just think it's real compelling that you know Grant went to med school for this purpose to to serve those that kind of find themselves in the margins you know uh, of our society and that's um, that's a that's a that's a big number of folks. I mean when we talk about safety nets I mean this is this is kind of where we operate each day uh, at our locations in town. So so yeah I mean the the, the mission for sure um, is, uh, is is just so important. And so um, so I'm I'm real grateful that, that we get to do it.
1: Well, there's just a, a need in Columbus as well. Um, 20% of folks in Columbus live below the poverty line. And uh, I think 15% of people in Columbus didn't have health insurance. So that's a, that's a large number. A study a few years ago showed that 70% of folks very low income had difficulty accessing health care. Um, and so not only are folks living in poverty, but those living in poverty have a hard time getting to health care which drives the factor that Muscogee County's death, uh, age of death is I think five years uh, less than the average death in the state of Georgia. So there's obviously a need in Columbus that needs to be met. And so we feel like we kind of get in that gap a little bit, try to help our friends that, that struggle and see if we can lift them up a little bit.
3: Wow. Well, first of all, congratulations on 10 years. That's a huge achievement. And, um, testament to the, the mission that it is working and, um, supportive of the community. Um, how does that feel grant that you, you began your journey with this intention and then it, it has fulf- been fulfilled. How does that feel to to have seen it fulfilled and after 10 years it's still thriving?
1: Yeah. A uh, great question. You know, um, uh, nothing's easy in the world. Um, you know, I think a lot of people might think, oh yeah, we should start a clinic. It's easy. It, it's hard. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hours. Uh, uh, we've helped other clinics kind of get up and get started a little bit. And one of the stories I tell them all the time is that, um, before we even started the clinic, there are a few nights that I was in here working, even mudding the walls until midnight because, you know, I just wanted to make this work and, uh, and to make something work, you have to put in hours to to do that. And, and, uh, you know, everybody has a great dream, but until you really see it happen, it's, it's hard to realize that and hard for a community to get behind it. And so we're grateful to be called back to Columbus to start this. But it was really the hard work that was put in and really by our staff and by Billy and Tony and so many folks to, to make it a reality so that people can really see that we really are going to do what we're saying we're doing. Um, it's also great because you really feel like you're living with it for a purpose. Uh, you feel like you're really making a difference. Uh, uh, there are folks that can would have a hard time getting seen anyplace else that you get to uh, to help, and so yeah, that that's part of the fun. And the other side is that that gets me excited is that um, they help my friends help me as well. Um, I, I really I really love a book that I read that that says uh, until you realize you're just as broken as the people you're trying to help, you will never be mm. very successful. And so uh some of my you know, we talk about being open for 10 years. We can talk about all this really neat stuff. But the reality is just most of the time just me with one person in front of me. and But it uh, slowly becomes my friends. And uh, I was in a room the other day and, you know, I walked in and uh, the lady looked at me and said, how's your daughter doing? Um, oh. And I, I have four daughters. So I was like, oh, snap. Like, which yeah. one did I tell her about <laughs> last time? Like, I was trying to think three <laughs> months ago, which is when my kids were struggling three months ago. And she goes, you know, I've been praying for every day since I last saw you. Um, and so, uh, to me, it's a feeling of that I get to really help and care for folks, but at the same time, they help and, and care for me and encourage me and love on me. And, uh, and so it's just a wonderful partnership that we get to do. It's
3: a beautiful story. I feel really strongly about, um, where I'm no better than anyone else, but I have a, I have a specialty that I'm good at and how can I share that and have purpose And and make the world better, and so that's what we do. I feel like Lindsay has the same thing. She's really good at building relationships, and so she's she has found that part of her and made a purpose. Sorry, I'm talking for you. But I feel really (laughs) strongly about that. That you all have this this uh, real real needed specialty, and what a gift to the community.
1: I trained some med students up here as well, and uh, one of the things that I tell them uh, it's a quote I stole from years ago. But the quote is, meet someone as if you'll know them the rest of your life. Mm. Um, and I just really like that quote. So when I go in and see someone, it might be a homeless person. It might be a drug addict. It might be who knows. Um, but I kind of try to go in the room thinking, oh, I'm going to know this guy the rest of my life. And if that's the case, I'm going to slow down a little bit and share a little bit about myself and learn a little bit about him and, and uh, come back and hopefully we get to continue that relationship. And as you build relationships, you build trust right one of our biggest issues especially among the poor is trust a lot of folks show up and say hey we're going to do something for you and then they're gone um and so we want to build that trust and building that trust means we have to build relationships and let people get to know us and our weakness and our struggles and um so many times you know some you know someone will say hey doctor will you pray for me and my normal response is absolutely but will you pray for me also um you know i want them to know that i don't have it all figured out um we're still struggling and uh, and so it's that mutual relationship that we're trying to build in to, to kind of outlast their mistrust, so that they will stay with us and take their medications and and hopefully uh, be healthier. So
0: relationships are so important. So I love that y'all are serving that need and just being that friend to so many in the community. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about um, access. Can you tell us about access to healthcare in our region? So in the Chattahoochee Valley.
1: What. Uh, I think pretty much, and Billy you might help, I think almost all of Muscogee County is considered a medically underserved area. So yeah, there are not right. enough, sorry, yeah. there are not enough primary care doctors for folks with insurance, and there's not enough primary care doctors without insurance. So there actually is a need in this community that, that we need more doctors in general. So there's access issues whether you have insurance or not. Um, the uh, So that's one issue. The other issue is if you don't have insurance, it just seems you know, more complicated at times. Uh, a lot of folks without insurance will use the ER as their primary care doctor, or maybe an urgent care as their primary care doctor. So uh, we, try to, we try to make healthcare accessible. Um, and the way we do it is that uh, uh, we make it affordable. It's not a free clinic. We do think it's important that people invest in their healthcare. We think that uh, kind of restores to dignity and, and, and creates a little bit of buy-in from their aspect. So most individuals will come in and pay uh, $30 to get seen and $30 means they'll get seen by me and, and 99% of all their labs will be included in that. So I get to see uh-huh. them, we get their complete blood count, their CMP, which is their electrolytes, kidney function, liver function. I can find of all I need about their, their cholesterol and diabetic. And so, um, you know, most folks pay 30 bucks. So it's affordable and it's, uh, accessible. So, um, But the reality is, uh, thank goodness there's you know Valley Healthcare um, in South Columbus. Uh, thank goodness there's a residency program um, that uh, Piedmont's doing. Uh, thank goodness that you know there are other folks out doing it also because the need is just is so great. Like we we need more clinics like like all of ours to to kind of offset the need of that
3: right? You can't do it alone. I think we we harp on that all the time, that United Way is just one entity and we have to have our partnerships to make, make this work. So I know there are like um, a lot of people that avoid seeking medical help, or maybe they will prolong their prescriptions and not take them every day so that they can afford that next prescription. So that's understood. I think a lot of people know that, but why does that affect the entire community? Why is that I feel like that's a domino effect for the health of the community as a whole? Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yes. I mean that we could take that about a hundred different directions. <laughs> um but the reality is, and life is expensive right now. Um yeah. everything is going mm-hmm. up in price. And even COVID with the the loss of work. Um, uh, <clears throat> most of our friends and uh most everybody I know <laughs> almost. Is almost living month to month, and especially mm-hmm. among our friends in the poor community. They really are living month to month. Uh, they really do have to make very difficult decisions of, do we get medicines or, or not? And, and, and that's pretty common. Um, and, and I have folks come in that need their heart medicines and, and they can't afford it, and they need, they need to eat and they need all these other things. And if they really get sick, and end up in the hospital or out of work for a couple of weeks, like that impacts everything. Um, they're barely making it now. Also, you take three weeks out of their income out, um, they're going to lose their place they're living. They're going to you know, be homeless and everything kind of compounds on all of that. Um, so it's really important. So, you know, medicine wise, we try to help a little bit. We use uh, my job to no, know the cheapest medicines in town. My job is where to go to get you everything as cheap as I can. If I can't do it, we have some volunteers who do prescription assistance who will actually come along and fill out paperwork and see if we can get some of the medications for free. Um, and so we try to offset some of that cost. Um, but it, it's more than just medicine. When you look at the whole health of a community, it, it's really more than just medicine. Um, and that's why you mentioned the thing of partnerships are so important because it's, it's the social determinants of health that, that you're kind of looking at. Like if you're not safe at home, um, why are you worried about your health? Um, right. You're not going to be worried about your health. I mean, that's just going to be pushed down for something else. If, you know, Fox School, that's right behind us. That's a great school. The, the turnover rate's 25% every year.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so we have young kids that transition from one house to the next house to the next house and not getting a consistent education. So you got to worry about safety and worry about education. <clears throat> you got to worry about food security. If you can't eat, you're not going to be worrying about taking your blood pressure medicines. Right. So you really have to look at the whole picture of the society, going. How do we bring health to the whole community? And the answer to that question, I don't know the answer to that question. I'll act like I answer. <laughs> <short laughs> we all make fun of me because there, it's such a big question to answer. But the the, the big picture answer is partnerships. Um, we've got uh, uh, right next to us the food mill. And and she is feeding so many folks in the community around us, and she's trying to help with food security issues. Um, they're doing a great job behind us back here we have something called True Spring, and they're and they're working really hard to do job creation and job training because once again, if you don't have a job, it's hard to be healthy. Um, and so we're now realizing that all these different things impact someone's health. My my job is really small, you know, fix the blood pressure, fix the diabetes, fix the cholesterol. Uh, but the bigger picture in all this is you know how do we how do we have someone feel safe in their neighborhood how do we have someone have have enough financial kind of independence so they feel comfortable enough spending some of that money on their medications right so many things go into that 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 we have to be aware of and i know i rambled on so i'll I'll (laughs) pass it billy billy's raising his hand i'm raising my hand
2: ready for all you listeners At home, I raised my hand, Um, (laughs) but absolutely uh, agree with, with everything Grant said. I think that when, um, when there's toxic stress month after month, day after day, that, um, that our neighbors experience through those deficits in the social determinants of health, then um, it it compounds and adds up to, um, you know, poor health outcomes and, and just, Crisis level things when they walk in the door and they're, you know, in their early fifties and see Grant, it's um, you know it's red alert, Um, and it just kind of makes sense that the things that contribute to that are are those uh, environmental factors uh, that he just listed. I'll 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 add a little bit to some other ways Mercy Meds responding to to those things. Like we're 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 inching our way. Like I think of it as a river. We're trying to get upstream. Mm -hmm. um, You know, and um, one of those ways is with fitness and with a, a dietitian. Okay. So our dietitian does counseling. So a patient will come see Grant, and if they have, uh, if they're malnourished or if they have. Uh, an eating disorder, or if there's uh, just education that needs to be had about um, about how food can help your your health, then they'll be scheduled for a consultation with Jamie, our dietitian, and, and she spends time with them and, and seeing good results there. And then also we're doing exercise classes, so we have a wellness center um, on our on our site now um, that does all sorts of things with the dietitian. We also do physical therapy, and we're also doing a, a new program called Five Weeks of Fitness, where um, patients are working out together. They, they learn exercises. They learn about blood pressure. American Heart Association comes in and does a lecture about that. Um, we are uh, teaching them about food education, um, and, and they're learning all these exercises they can do at home. And, uh, and it's building community, which is another crucial piece of, of yeah. health, uh, our, our physical therapist said it's, uh, it's the multiplier. Like our, our benefit is multiplied by the community. Um, and so, so we, we are seeing more and more the benefit of time with patients. You know, if we can have more time, uh, mm-hmm. with, with our, our patients, we, we, we are seeing the benefit of that because the uh, the mobility increases, the A1C level goes down, um, and uh, and it creates a sense of place and ownership that the patients have here. Like this place is for them and it's theirs, um, and they can come work out here. They can come meet with their doctor here and you know, get fresh fruits and veggies from our farm here. So uh, so we're trying to you know uh, to find, find ways we can address those determinants here at the clinic.
0: I love that you truly are doing life um, with your patients. And like you said, just making them friends with you. Um, I think I've heard, Billy, it may have been you before, but mentioning, you know, they may, families may be able to come buy vegetables from y'all, but if you don't really know how to cook these vegetables and like how to make them good, let's be honest, we don't all like our vegetables, but they're great for us. Like you need to have them. But if you don't really know what to do with zucchini or squash or eggplant, you're not really going to. Try to make it, you don't know what to do with it. So I think um all of those resources y'all provide are just so great for every single part of life, um just in staying healthy. and hopefully they don't have to come to you for you know heart medicine um if their diet's correct and they're exercising and doing all of these things to stay healthy.
1: Well, we're definitely learning as we go um, and you know uh, we uh, you know one of the most important things we do is listen um, uh, to our friends and see kind of what their needs are. But, you know, we started the farmer's market and, um, you know, a lot of our, our friends, you know, we were able to give them or they'd buy vegetables and, um, they weren't sure really how to use it. Um, they might not have refrigeration, they might not have power. And so then we realized, okay, we need to do some, some cooking education. Um, and that's why, you know, even now we partner with a food mill and, and Billy kind of mentioned, that if you're food insecure that the food mill and we partnered together to, and they actually get medically tailored meals to last for three months and so now they're able to eat meals that are actually healthy for them and after that they'll go on with our farmer and get fruits and vegetables for three months so i think they can they can eat healthy and then take the vegetables and maybe start creating it after that and so we're trying to track that a little bit to see we're we improving health for that when the pharma came on years ago, I said, listen, I don't care how many tomatoes you put out. I want to know is health improving? And so through that program, we're kind of monitoring blood pressure and blood sugar and waste circumference and just seeing is it improving? So, but we're definitely like everything we do, we realize something new that we didn't know. Uh, and so we have to just be aware of that. That's
0: awesome. Um, I do want, to give y'all kudos for something amazing. Y'all already do so many amazing things, but I love the success that y'all did for the COVID testing. Um, You know, when it was a time in need, Y'all are a nonprofit clinic, and y'all teamed up with. I remember the very beginning one with Cascade Hills. I mean, I've called Billy numerous times, you know, looking for my friends' COVID testing, looking for myself, my family, um, and y'all. Y'all really were that asset to the community, and I just thought that was so great. So I wanted to hear a little bit more about the need and maybe some of the stories that y'all experienced through that.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it just was a strange time for everybody, um, and I don't think really. Anyone knew exactly what to do. And I remember I was uh sitting there uh talking to a guy named Andrew Chalmers, who does some things in the neighborhood, and thinking, what what can we do? And and so uh I ended up just calling Dr. Hiltz at the health department, I mean they did an amazing job actually in the midst of COVID. Um, and just said, How can we help? And uh, and so we ended up getting on a kind of a a phone call, with a few of the folks and, and they said, can y'all, can y'all do testing? <clears throat> and so we said, sure. We had no idea how to do it. <laughs> um, they really need someone to get tested. And <clears throat> we found a lab and we tested them. And I think two weeks later, we got the results back, which is of absolutely no benefit two weeks later, but we did the first outpatient testing in Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> I don't know if it was helpful at all. Um, but from there, we realized uh, there was a need for testing. They were negative. By the way, it's yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> good to know.
1: <clears throat> there was uh, a need for testing, but there's also a need for um, a little bit of surveillance in the community. Um, is it in Columbus? Is it not in Columbus? And so we had some friends in Birmingham that really did some neat testing that we learned from. And we did that first testing you mentioned at, uh, at the church there. And excuse me, um, it was interesting. I, I, if I remember correctly, we tested 1,500 people. And we found 180 positive, which is over 10%, which I, we, no one thought is that high in Columbus. And we were shocked. So the question was, what do we do now? <clears throat> and so we ended up uh, with the help of uh, a contractor, Bubba Gordy came and and took a couple of our rooms and made them all plastic. And uh, we invited 180 of those patients uh, in to be seen and, and to be evaluated. And so uh, for about, Three weeks, I, I lived in a hazmat. suit. <laughs> so, <you know>. um, <laughs> we ran a portable chest x-ray machine. Um, and every positive patient that came through, we did um an exam, vital signs, an EKG a portable chest x-ray and a lung ultrasound of every single one, just to uh, evaluate where they were. And uh back then we had a little bit of a protocol of trying to find out, you know, what we should do, recommended vitamins for everybody. At that time, we were if you're high risk and not improving, we did azithromycin and hydroxychloroquine early on when people were doing that. Um, but I think probably the best thing we did is that we got uh, uh, some services for them. So um, we started, we had someone who was a uh, a social person that would actually go to the door and take them, you know, a thermometer or a few things that they needed, even food. Uh, we had a Zoom call where folks can look at each other twice a week and just talk to each other and see that there are other people out there that had COVID we had a prayer team in case you had prayer requests that you give and they would be prayed for. And then we had someone, most of time they were med students that called them every single day to check on. Them. And I will tell you probably that helped folks because there's so much anxiety. And I remember one person telling me that, uh, cause we saw them on day one and saw them on day 10 back in the clinic <clears throat> that said, uh, the only way I made it was I knew Martin, who was a med student was going to call me the next day and make sure I was okay. Um, and so knowing someone's calling, knowing someone's checking on you, knowing they're asking you questions about how you breathe and how you are feeling, and uh, checking, you know, they have pulse ox and checking a few things like that really helped them in the midst of fear and anxiety. Um, and so, uh, you know, we followed them for uh, 10 days uh, and then some of them who were not doing well, we continued to call them as, until they felt better. Um, of the 100 in 140 that we followed up with, I'm not sure about the other 40 that tested positive because they didn't kind of get into our little, I guess, experiment of sorts. Um, we had a uh, two go to the hospital and that was not admitted. One went to the hospital. He, I can't remember if it was he or she, but the person was admitted, but was released. So, um, I mean, and that's a natural progression of the disease anyways, as they naturally get better with time and, and some don't do well, but we're grateful that all the folks that we saw end up, ended up uh, doing well. So, um, so that was that was a really uh, neat experience. And I think because we did that, it kind of kicked us in then just to testing for the community, mm-hmm. um, which we did a lot of testing at our location. But then we tried to look for for people that had a hard time getting help uh, getting the testing they needed. So one of our goals was kind of to to monitor uh, the homeless community and, and make sure they were doing okay. And Neil Richardson at the safe house was he was amazing. I mean he he went in there and redid his whole area. And he, he created a, a COVID uh, unit, basically, in his little shelter for anybody positive for COVID. He felt bad asking anybody to, to stay with him. So he said that he was going to stay in there with him and, and take care of them and monitor their battle signs. Um, and so we started doing uh, uh, COVID checks there, I think, every month. And then we did some in South Columbus and then a few other places. But you might remember other places that we went Yeah.
2: Well, the United Way was part of that story, Grant. Um, yeah. We very quickly, um, United Way took the lead, along with the community foundation. Uh, you guys created the um, the coronavirus fund, and also the weekly daily calls. I guess in the beginning, uh, really, for, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but we got a grant from y'all. Um, it was the fastest grant application ever, <laughs> um, and uh, it was so so generous and. Uh, and, and you know, because of that that funding, we were able to put together a field team. We call them mm. Field Team Six,
1: <laughs> and, um,
2: and we hired this you know this temporary help, and they we did like ten testings uh, all across like different parts of the city because uh, back back in 2020. Wow. Back in 2020, that sounds weird. to say. Oh. <laughs> back, in, back in 2020, COVID tests, you know, were hard to come by. Um, and so uh, so we would do these parking lot drive through tests in the middle of the summer with with these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, they started out as volunteers, but then we hired them to be, um, you know, seasonal workers uh, to, to test um, people in blazing hot parking lots on the south side <laughs> of town, midtown. At uh, safe house like Grant mentioned here in uh, North Highland as well. So uh, and then and then once we got the rapid test we brought the testing on site and started doing the test here. So I think in 2020 we did over 10,000 COVID tests. Wow. So, Wow. Quite, this, quite the season.
3: I just want to back up a little bit that Grant you mentioned 180 people that tested positive were all invited back and. I'm just going to assume that that's more people than you normally would check in on in, in a normal day or or week. I would like to ask, how do you feel now looking back on that, what it had to have been exhausting, but also a testament to your relationships with the community that it, it worked and, and you, you made such a huge difference in the community.
1: It, it was, I mean, uh, well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, you know, we had a great team. Uh, Tony Nguyen, who's our COO, you know, he's kind of the drill sergeant and uh, uh, has been in the military. And he he set up the flow of the original testing at, at the church that just flowed perfectly. And Joyce Kim, who's our CMO, uh, really just helped with some guidelines and all that. I mean, it just really was a great team, a great pouring in the community. But the, the 180 and the 140 that came in, I remember the first day we, we guessed how long we thought it'd take to bring someone in. Um, like, and we had just help from everybody. I mentioned, you know, the, the construction guy, he actually reversed the circulation of our air. So it pulled the air out. Mm-hmm. I think it was Jan Pro who gave us a special spray just for free to, so we had to spray the rooms down before everybody came in. And so. It looked like it that taken. scene
2: from ET. Remember when they found out that ET was at, at the house, there was, <laughs> yeah. there was plastic everywhere. Oh, and- <laughs> It was uh, okay. it was quite the
1: size. Yeah, so I mean, we had this like double zipper plastic thing you zip through, and then you go in and you <laughs> change clothes upon your hazmat stuff and then unzip and zip because we really had no idea back then. We knew so little, right? Uh, and uh, be honest with you, I don't know if it was the wisest thing to do that or not, but we did feel like folks were hurting and, and folks were scared and 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 uh, from the studies we looked at, we thought we could we could do it and do it in a way that would be safe. And so we did that, but it took so long. I remember that first day, you know, we we worked at probably 11 o'clock at night seeing patients, and we had to call them back and tell them that don't come yet. We were behind. And, you know, we had folks outside the double zipped area to kind of get the samples and everything that we had to do. And no one drank fluid because no one had to take off their hazmat suit uh-huh. to go to the restroom. So we like just completely dehydrated. It was hot, <laughs> it was sweaty. Wow. Um, but, um. um in the end of the day, we we felt like it was a a real way to love on folks and care for folks who um, were, like I said, were very anxious, very nervous, very scared. I remember I worked a little bit in the hospital back then also. Um, and as uh, as a hospitalist, I do that from time to time. I remember going in and seeing some patients with COVID in the hospital and just hearing them say things like, please don't let me die in here alone. And it was just this fear that was going around, uh, deservedly so. Um, of uh, what was going to happen. It was a scary time. Um, And so to feel like you were able to play a little bit of part of, for some people, relieving the fear, saying you don't have COVID. For some folks, saying you do have it, but we're going to try to walk with you with this process and and see if we could help out. Um, But yeah, it was it was uh it was one of those times I think we'll always look back on. In fact, there's one part in the clinic where we had these these hair coverings to to cover our hair, you know, that we still haven't taken down. And it's just kind of a way to remember that time of of being in the bubble, the hot bubble for, for hours on. It was over Easter. I mean, I remember yeah. you know, instead of going to we didn't have Easter service, I guess back then, but instead of being home with my family of coming in and spending, you know, 15 hours here on Easter seeing people and so
2: yeah and i'll add to that a little bit too grant like it's a it was a very challenging season but it's also when i look back on with a lot of gratitude as the um development officer you know our our job is to tell the story you know and um and what we did we were able to do because of the generosity um of the community uh innovation's a core value here we um we look at you know how can we, how creative can we be and um, and that that really um, is driven by Grant but we've adopted it too to see how can we respond and so the what I think what grant just described is really an example of where we felt empowered and the freedom to take action because of the support from the United Way and the, and the rest of the community um, and and that really gave us the chance to be kind of agile you know during during this, this season of you know how can we how can we solve for this? Well, this doesn't work. Let's try something else, you know? And so, um, I, I, I just have a lot of gratitude for when we think back at that season, because we made very few requests, uh, for funding and, and donors just responded with extreme generosity, uh, to, to propel us forward, to keep responding and to keep, keep going. And, um, and so I just, uh, I, I think it's, uh, a, it was, a, it was a challenging season for sure. But one, I think that really demonstrated a lot of, Good that came from uh, many, many other stories uh, from a bunch of other folks that are serving uh, and serving alongside us too during that time.
1: If we can make any requests for the next next pandemic, if it would come during the winter time. <laughs> uh, we would. I don't know if we put that request in now or later, we would appreciate it. because uh, yeah, a little toasty and hazmat suits
2: You can and, imagine. We're
1: uh, okay. outside and the safe house. And, uh, we didn't come and actually donate a tent for us, which made it a lot better than like a really big tent. So you could have and mm-hmm. do a lot of your testing in a little bit of a shade. But we also and this is a very small part, but I think really, really important. Uh, we also all grew mustaches during COVID and we thought that was a very classic <laughs> for us.
2: That's right. With the mask, it was great. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I bet
0: <laughs> everybody had to let a little loose during COVID. Uh, yeah. Fun times. You gotta, right. you know, enjoy it the best you can. Right. Well, y'all touched on it a little bit, but we're just gonna close out with kind of our last, you know, question on um why you choose to be a partner with United Way. And we really appreciate y'all being our partner. Y'all do such wonderful work in the community. Um, and we love working with y'all every day. But um, just a little bit for our listeners
1: well you know i was kind of thinking um and billy i don't know if you thought about this year or not but like one of our core values is advocacy um you know we have to advocate for our patients and sometimes our patients don't know even know what they need um sometimes they don't know what to even ask for and uh we feel like uh for our friends like we do for our own family that sometimes you have to 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 fight for them um, and advocate for them and, and try to help that. And in a, a big picture, that's what y'all do. Um, it's really cool. I mean, you advocate for all these nonprofits in the community that you're out there fighting for them and telling their story and letting folks know kind of what they're about. Um, and it helps. I mean, it helps me tremendously because it takes a little pressure off my shoulders so that I can keep doing what I want to do, which is see patients, knowing that someone else out there is advocating for us. And so, um, it's kind of a, a cool first thought came to my head was just that picture of, of one of our core values and how like, y'all do it e- even a, in a in a bigger way, uh, which is which is truly amazing. I turn back to Billy. I bet he yeah.
2: Right. I mean that, he, that's that's absolutely right. You there's so much work. Like to the listener who's hearing this, I just would reiterate everything Grant said about advocating because there's so much work y'all do for us and for Open Door Community and Salvation Army and Safe House Ministries and um, uh, Feeding the Valley. I mean, there's Boys and Girls Club. There's so many amazing organizations that benefit from the generosity of the community who support the United Way campaign. And so uh, my encouragement is for people to keep giving, keep Keep doing uh, what you're doing and, and give generously to the United Way because because I I kind of view the question in the reverse of how you asked it like I I am grateful that y'all choose us to, <laughs> y'all yes. y'all chose us to partner with uh, for those reasons that Grant spoke I mean it's like it, one of the definitions of advocacy is to plead the case for um, and my goodness that's what you do um, as an organization for, um, and tirelessly, I might add tirelessly. So, uh, there, there's no giving up, um, on, on on y'all's end of the deal and, and there'll be no, um, no problem too big for you to try to, to, to speak into and, and find solutions for. And so whether that's community schools or home for good or, um, uh, you name it. Uh, I think it's, it's so, so such important, important stuff. So, um, so I think that like Grant said, I mean, what, what you guys do advances our mission. Um, and so when we, when we have a a grant from the United Way, it's like, it's way bigger than a grant. It's a, um, it's, it's improving access to healthcare for somebody that doesn't have insurance and now they can afford it. Um, and so those things really matter to us. And so, um, we're just really grateful
0: you will make doing this work easy. So, we thank you all for just being such awesome partners and always answering the call um, and doing such great work in the community. Well, guys, did we miss anything? Is there anything else y'all would want to touch on?
1: Uh, Billy's not a doctor. That's right. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> People ask me questions in the parking lot all the time. And <laughs> if you like food, don't ask Billy the question. It's my
2: only advice. The other day, I, that's right. That's right. I, I'm a, I'm a very, very, very much less educated, but, uh, I did (laughs) one time our office manager was getting fussed at by, a um, a patient because, um, they were, um, I think the wait was too long or something and she, they were just having a conversation and, and the patient said, well, well. I don't think you're acting with a sense of urgency. Look at Dr. Scarborough outside. And I was outside the window. It was me. And I was outside <laughs> the window, just moseying around with a cup of coffee, just talking to people. <laughs> and they were waiting to see Grant. And they thought oh. I was Grant, just outside, just in the breeze. So, yeah.
0: Uh, I, I think i'd be an upset uh patient too if i thought it was the doctor just mm-hmm. you know hanging out drinking their morning coffee yeah, while i was yeah. waiting
2: <laughs> not a care in the world coffee's <laughs> important i mean you gotta you gotta get it's going. vital. it's <laughs> vital every room is a waiting room that's why we call them patients <laughs> please come on don't start
1: telling jokes billy we'll go all down here quickly <laughs>
0: Well, we will end on that note. Uh, Grant and Billy, thank y'all so much for taking the time to chat with us.
2: Absolutely. Thanks, Lindsay and Lauren.
3: Hey, everyone. Join us next time. We're talking about jobs and employment. It's an important conversation you don't want to miss. To catch a previous episode or for more information about United Way, visit unitedcb.org. Thank you for listening. We're so glad you're here to chat with us.